0: Hello, welcome to Going Deeper. My name is Marcy Sklove. And before we get started, I just wanted to place where we are in time right now. It's early June 2020. We're in the middle of battling this pandemic COVID-19 virus Um, I looked up the numbers this morning. We're up to 2 million cases in the u.s And 6.8 million cases worldwide Uh, And in the midst of us Confronted with all of that We're in our second week of protests Around the murder and very horrible uh, This killing of George Floyd that was done in Minneapolis uh, about 10 days ago and The whole country has erupted in protests as had the whole world really Um, And it's a time of a big time of change in, in our in our country so i'm hoping that uh, these protests and the light that's getting shown on the institutional racism that has been the foundation of our country for all these years that the, this light being sh- shown on on these these big factors um, will begin to make a difference and every day i see evidence of how the whole societal uh, Changes are th- being shown um And so I it makes me feel hopeful that there are changes coming And I think it's very timely to introduce my guest eric Backrack. eric, uh has created an institution that is founded in social justice and founded in the exact kind of attention and intention That the protests are looking for these days So I want to get started by welcoming Eric. Thank you for joining me
1: Thank this you is, for having me.
0: You're welcome. This is our first um, attempt at a highly technological technological zoom kind of interview and and um, It'll be interesting to, to keep going forward here. Um, so Eric is the founder of the Community Music School of Springfield in Springfield, Massachusetts. He founded the school in 1983 and was executive director for 27 years. So we will be hearing about, about Eric's life and his work. And um, We'll get started So eric the way I like to often start these interviews is to ask you What in your early life? uh, kind of set the stage and informed Your work your path as you became an adult and moving into you know, the work that you've done in the school And it's a question you can take in many directions.
1: Yes Uh, Thank you, Marcy. Thanks so much for having me and being interested in a great school like this, like CMSS. Um, I've often thought we don't really change a lot um, from the time we're young, early adolescents, and as we mature as uh, people and evolve as people after that, but I think we're kind of not only hardwired, but our senses and our sentiments, our ethos, our ethics are often hardwired. And mine were, uh, kind of my interests were always, um, I always. So sorry, Marcy, I I, I <laughs> I thought I shut all of this off. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> so I actually, the, coincidentally, it was my mother calling. My mother, Uh-oh. 101 and a half. And um, uh, anyway, it's it's actually appropriate to go back to when uh, growing up with her. My mother um, is, is a musician. Was a musician. She's not been a practicing musician for many, many, many years. Physically, it was difficult for her to continue to um um uh be a pianist which was what she did and how i kind of my ear and my soul was bathed in music from when i was very young yeah. i started um taking piano lessons with her she was a piano teacher she taught at juilliard actually um and uh um but i never really took to the piano so i stopped taking lessons from her when i was about seven or eight and stopped playing any kind of music until i was i was uh, grew up in the bronx i should say um, okay and um on in starting junior high school and in those days it was a seven eight nine a junior high school system i was put in a music class that um where I was given the violin. And it was purely um coincidental. I I had a good ear as a kid and I was musical, so uh I um was lucky to get into this this kind of special program that was not just special to my school, but it was special for the era, for the for the time, because young people my age. We're studying music in these this p- particular kind of public school program five days a week. So I had music five days a week, and on the on Saturday I would do a special Allboro, uh, uh Bronx Allboro Orchestra program. Wow. Um, so I was really very at a important kind of social and emotional uh, developmental time in my life. This is when I was a young and adolescent i became very very um uh committed to uh playing music
0: mm.
1: and, and um it was just kind of it w- was what i did i it was it was uh a, i was lucky enough to be to have parents who could afford to give me private violin lessons which i yeah. started in 8th grade but i um i had all these other affirming musical experiences six days a week and that was kind of very formative for me by the time I got into ninth grade I auditioned for the high school of music and art which is called LaGuardia high school now and I, I then spent three more years playing music every day chamber music um, studying music history, art history, theory, um, really playing in with choruses. So it was very, and again, this was a public school, Wow! which was very, very, um, very special. Although you and in Detroit had t- cast tech, right? So that was kind of the equivalent of music and art. And there a lot of cities or some cities that were, 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 that were smart enough to kind of identify that, that. Like the arts was one of those multiple intelligences. It was just not, and you know, that that kind of notion of the multiple intelligences did not really wow. wasn't codified until many years later by Howard Gardner at at Harvard. But there there, but people, some people are have more greater aptitude in quantitative stuff and. And, yeah. and verbal stuff or have that and and also and art and music and and um, our dance and so um anyway so i was very lucky to be able to capitalize on uh, on what was completely free yeah. in new york and uh, available i w- i felt uh, really privileged to be able to have that growing up since i was I was 12 or 13 till I graduated high school
0: so so that gives us the background the music aspect of Mm. of your development and I I was thinking I you know, I read about you a little bit in preparation and I, I Learned that you were actually born in Heidelberg, Germany Right When your parents were there doing very important kind of social justice work in a certain way
1: Yeah, my father Marcy was working. He was during the war On on being drafted he he became a french interpreter. So he that's what he did in the army until he was um, decommissioned in 1945 and he had a particular um, skill for languages he spoke German fluently and French fluently. And on, by the way, his French, all his French, he he was he he learned in the public schools in New York and at City College. So uh, where was where were your parents born? My parents are are New Yorkers.
0: They were both born in New York?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, after the war, my father was served in a, a nonprofit organization similar to the Monuments Men, the movie that was made about. This core of soldiers and or uh, or or or, who were then decommissioned and became a a uh, a a force that repatriated not art objects and patents and 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 things like copyrights and things like that back to their rightful owners that were confiscated by the Nazis. So my father did that. he was on the road after, uh, after we got But I was born in Heidelberg because my mother joined him when he was working for that particular nonprofit in yeah. Germany. Um, and uh, so that's why I was born. It was coincidental. I mm-hmm. was where my mother was. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then we returned to New York in, uh, uh, in, in after, when I was around two.
0: So do do you think that you got any of your your sensibilities, your sensitivities around social justice issues from your parents? Or was that more from the times you were raised?
1: Yeah, I think it's the latter, Marcy. Mm -hmm. I don't think my parents, although they're ethical people, I don't think that they were particularly conscious Mm -hmm. or they were so focused on being a successful Jewish, you know, family. And they were just work, they were, my father worked three different jobs and, yeah. and, um. but it was, it was my, it was actually the effect of being at this very progressive high school, Muse and then being catapulted into the sixties from, I graduated in 1966. So then I went to college and then, this was in the the height of the civil rights movement, the yeah. the anti-war movement. And it was in college I had actually stopped playing the violin and was just consumed by the times
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the intensity of the culture, the era, um the the sense of um the sense the whole Kind of being in the in the middle of uh, felt like I was in the cauldron, where the um, the uh, bl- black nationalist movement, the black p- power movement, uh, the uh, 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 Puerto Rican power movement, gray panthers, win- the women's movement. Mm-hmm. It was the '60s, so it was very, very. For me, it was easy not to play. I was just, I was being not a very rebellious person. I mean, I didn't have anything to rebel from when I was playing the violin. You know. Mm-hmm. It was,
0: and yeah. were you in college in the New York area?
1: I, yes, I went to Hunter
0: Okay, in New York, so you were still in that That Geographically you were still in in that area. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. and it was um, this was hunter when hunter had two campuses Manhattan and the Bronx mm. Now the this the, the hunter college I went to was now called Lehman College um but it was, uh, was a very powerful, very, very, very powerful time and, and it was kind of easy to forget music, and although music was a very important part of the sure. movements, all the movements, but not classical music, which was what I did mostly.
0: Mm-hmm. I loved
1: mm-hmm. other kinds of music, but I played classical music. Yeah. So, so,
0: so tell me tell me a little bit about the music. Like what is the music itself for you?
1: Well, you know, I I think playing, being able to play an instrument is is being able to speak another language Mm -hmm. and to be able to communicate in another language. That is not that's that it's not one's typical you know language based on phonetics and graphic graphemes and sure sure spoken um but i feel um that you know i i can't imagine life without music, and so when I pick up my violin which i did not do when I play when I ran the Community Music School of Springfield for twenty seven years. I didn't play.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: So I yeah I, I I there were more important things for me to do like create CMSS and yeah really my clearly my calling and my why I was brought here. I think wow. Um, but music playing music is very very powerful. It's a way wonderful way to communicate. Deep feelings and um, um, and I I just feel most at peace, okay. most centered, most grounded when I have the violin. You know, it's not as if I walk around twenty four hours a day with it, but when I play, it's it's a very very fulfilling experience. And and I was very happy to uh, um, get back to it.
0: Yeah, I'm glad. That's beautiful that you were able to get back to it after this big, this big creation that you had done. You know, when you left that. So tell us, tell us the story of the school.
1: Well, I had, um, I, as as I I graduated from college, and, and again, I had not been playing the violin. I started teaching in 1970, late 1970 in the New York City public school system. And um kind of the the politics and the the, the politics of the 60s became very practically concrete. Teaching in the Bronx in extremely poor neighborhoods. Uh, neighborhoods up from Yankee Stadium that um, that are kind of cantilevered over the the um, Major Deegan Highway. It, it's um, um, communities that um, largely black communities that were um, uh, that that the experience of teaching and working in a in a predominantly black um, t- uh, community was very very powerful. Mm-hmm. and um and kind of began to open up my eyes to um kind of the 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 gross inequities the savage inequities of being black and of color in this country i was at the time i was living in yonkers or in the bronx in a middle cl- working class neighborhood but um i began to really really understand um um uh lack of advantage and lack and and or a privilege i should say um in this country and um i really kind of um came of age not only in the 60s i think that sparked my political consciousness and my sense of my ethical consciousness and then working in poor neighborhoods, really kind of gave me a very personal mm. um, uh, uh, kind of experience. Man, sure. um and work, when in teaching fourth, fifth, and, and third, fourth, and fifth grades, and um, during oh. and then I then I actually worked in the, the same all borough program that I played in as a kid. I worked in, but in the Manhattan borough program at at the same time. So I'm beginning to kind of. Um, you know a understand my privilege and get un, understand that the, the that the world was 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 a very unfair world and um and all the the public schools also reflected in the public schools and in, in, in poor neighborhoods were were less good yes than the privileged schools in be, much better neighborhoods in the upper on the upper west side or in uh in uh wealthy neighborhoods in, in manhattan so um i began to um uh um kind of my my antennas started really twiddling at the time i began to i had a um you know, deep friendships with with some very very progressive public school educators and also, uh, at the time, Renee and I, my wife Renee, had a mentor, Suzanne, who was a very powerful uh, mentor who uh, who was in the um, who was a, a, in the truest sense of the word a revolutionary, and and um, whose life was guided by revolutionary politics, and whose who was incredibly influential. In my life, and certainly Renee's, to um, to uh, the importance of s- struggling for for equality on on every level. So um, anyway, you, I, yeah.
0: you you also at some point had mentioned an association you had with Ruth Kemper.
1: Yeah, I I had just when I started teaching. I, the the kind of the the vacuum that's not playing music was I started feeling this vacuum and I um, it Was I think 1972 um, but I um, I knew about the Suzuki violin movement and and uh, so I signed up for a class at the Manhattan School of Music uh, with a woman named Louise Behrendt who was a violin teacher a very wonderful violin teacher the class never went, but I ended up uh, playing for Louise. T- t- of course, I was interested in beginning to get back to the violin. I was starting to. There was something. The itch was beginning to re- re- really need scratching. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, um, so I found that playing, um, and that I that I wanted to start playing again. This was almost five or six years after I last played. Started, and um, so I was looking for a teacher. Louise, as I said, couldn't take me, but she she told me about a, a woman named Ruth Kemper who had just, she was at that time um, retiring from the Turtle Bay Music School, which is a community music school founded, started in 1924 in Manhattan, wow. in Manhattan. And I called her and Ruth took me on as a student. She didn't have many students. She was mostly an administrator at the time. And I began studying with her and I um kind of rebuilt my uh technique and and interestingly, I I really wanted to be a jazz violinist if, at that moment in my career, my sure. life. And I had um my hero was Jean-Luc Ponty, who was playing at the time with Frank Zappa. And um I really wanted to learn enough violin to play. Jazz very well or naturally, but um, I had to build, rebuild my violin technique. But part of, part of the way into it, I, I took a leave from the from the public schools in New York and studied at Berkeley in Boston.
0: Yeah,
1: in the Berkeley Jazz School. I had a great time, but Renee had lost her. My wife lost her teaching job, and I. Um, And I still had mine. I had taken a leave of absence from the public school. So I came back, left Berkeley, and then um, continued afterwards, continued studying with Ruth. At the, uh, I had, and she was very important, but she, as a a violin teacher to me. Mm -hmm. Later she would become important to me because she um, lived through the Settlement House Music School movement. Right. Of the of the which was founded in the the 30s, but began in the late 1800s in Chicago and New York, and went with with the advent of the settlement house music schools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Ruth Ruth really helped me as a musician and as a violinist, so that I had the equipment and the ability to actually apply to UMass to mm. do for a, a graduate degree in music. When we moved here in 1981, um, I uh, moved here and became a graduate student at UMass and studied violin and music education at the university and studied with Julian, Julian Olewski.
0: Yeah.
1: Knowing that I would probably, I would not be a performer professionally that I would do something else with music. And I knew that I did not, when we moved here, I knew that I did not want to teach in the public schools. I felt that as, in my instance, as wonderful as as they were, by the time I was a teacher, the system had become so mangled and so large and so desensitized and so inhuman here's a new york school system that had a million 1.1 million students and sixty thousand teachers wow and it was just and it it really it chewed up students who really you know didn't you know it was just a system that was so broken and so disadvantaged and um you know the schools were so too large and Classrooms were too large and um, So I knew that I, I I and I also felt that as Important and I absolutely believe this is important as public school teaching is as a mission as a calling um, I Wanted to have more control over Doing something with music in my life where I actually when during graduate school, I wasn't I? I was an older graduate student. I had a had a, a younger a son at the time who was five, mm-hmm. four when we moved here. And um, Renee was my wife was was um, owned and operated a um, recycled clothing store. Yeah,
0: lots for littles. We lots loved that, that store
1: when my yeah. daughter was oh, yeah. little.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people.
1: <laughs> And it was wonderful. it was a great way for an A to become embedded in the community and invite totally and um so I knew that at, right after graduate school uh you know I had to start working and making money and and um there's and um so I began to th- began to in feel a, a way kind of was in in the dark you know in a mm-hmm. sense i i i had a right, I ended up being a music education um, master's major. And the there were only two education courses I took. And one of them was in research and music education. And I researched a community music school in Worcester, mm-hmm. the performing arts school of Worcester. I met I yeah. when I spoke with a founder, I interviewed the founder, the, the directors. Um so I began to f- in um I began to move in the direction of figuring out what this calling was um and it was to uh in the end it was I was figuring out how to start a community music school somewhere
0: yeah
1: I had when I when my, in my last semester at UMass in 1983 82 I took um um A course introduction to arts management at umass and um i met these wonderful wonderful people who believe that community arts was where it's at and i um at the at that moment i not that moment i i i signed up for the class with the idea of figuring out how am i going to start a music school sure and I had figured out that I wanted it, you know. At the time, I was th- play, thinking it should be in a city, not in Amherst, not in Northampton, and the the closest city um, uh, to to us at the time we live in Amherst was was Springfield. And uh, one of the people I, sp- I, I um, study with. Um, at the Arts Extension Service. Um, uh, Donna Stevenson told me about a man named Charles Majeed Greenlee, who worked at the mayor's office on cultural and community affairs, who okay. might be, um, you know, kind of interested in talking to me about starting a community music school in Springfield. So um, we um, called up Majeed, and at the mayor's office and we 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 really had a wonderful wonderful friendship and we a he was a powerful very powerful um a mentor to me he was an older black man who was a wonderful musician played the trombone uh played with ray charles uh, played with archie shep regularly hmm. composed arranged and taught also, Majid had moved up from Manhattan. He was he originally was from Detroit. Huh. Right? He went to Cass Tech.
0: Oh, and, cool!
1: Yeah. yeah, and like some really amazing, amazing jazz musicians have. And so I, 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 I um, became very close with Majid, and he was he he felt very committed himself to. The idea of um, a community music school in Springfield at the time uh, Springfield uh, um, Was one of the poorest and still is unfortunately one of the poorest cities in the country. Wow um, Yeah, it's in it's the
0: a, whole country.
1: Yeah, it's a very huh. very poor country uh, a city. city. Yeah, City, excuse me. Um, yeah, wow. it's 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 tragic. It's um, uh it's a city with that like many new england cities where the industries just evaporated or, right. or replaced or moved elsewhere and not re ran it did not reinvent itself and um so i i i not not being a person who lived in in uh springfield i um um I very much was um, committed to kind of following Majid's advice, mm-hmm. reaching out to people who he, he thought I should reach out to in the community who were kind of influencers or people who were important and represented um, key constituencies. Um, in the Black community, I went to Black leadership, um, Black church leaders um community center leaders um, i uh then also at the same time i was uh uh working with a man named wayne brown who was the director of the springfield symphony mm. so i was trying to really really identify who in springfield um to whom music and music education mattered a lot to because the vision of the school that I wanted to start was one of um, a complete accessibility, affordability, with yeah. a large, largely financial aid and sliding scale and scholarship-based school. So that, that kind of, the, the it, from the very beginning, was always um, focused on, on access and um eliminating barriers mm. and um and i think that's what appealed to majid this was a um i had a, you know i had said that um before that the 60s i came of age and then with my friendship with suzanne and then teaching in the public schools i was forming a kind of an ethos that was was very social justice yeah. Um, founded on social justice and my deep love of music, kind of coincided in the manifestation called the Community Music School of Springfield.
0: Wow, yeah,
1: yeah. So I um, I was, uh, it really, when I when I think about it, it took about a year to get it started from off the page, from on the page to off the page, to actually teaching and we opened up in a public school in 1984 in february of 1984 is when we began our very first lessons um, i was able to um We were able. I, we were able to having very little money to we had two seed grants were which were substantial which yeah. really capitalized our ability to to operate for a year um, uh, but but I knew that um uh, that we needed to stum- start off in a very humble fashion. I don't think that, I don't think there was any any option, frankly. Yeah. So we ended up uh, through a through a connection. Well, it might have been through um, Wayne Brown. I met a person who allocated after um, uh, to after school programs and Saturday programs. Um, Springfield Public School facilities and uh, his name was Peter Lavanos and Peter um, um, in hearing out my my needs in in my physical needs in terms of the music school Mm -hmm. uh, he suggested that I look at a place called the New North Community School which is um, right off of Route 91 exit 10 it's on bernie avenue.
0: Okay.
1: And, yeah, and it's right near the now the immense space day space Sure, you know labyrinth, but at the time it was um, it was called new north It's now called Herena herman Herena community school. But at the time we opened up there. There were it was a very kind of um Very deteriorated neighborhood. There were old tired factories that were just sitting fallow and empty um And, uh, but it had a suite of practice studios that we ended up taking over at three o'clock every day and on Saturdays and it had an auditorium that we rolled out a piano that we raised money to, to buy for student recitals. And uh, my office was at the lowest level. It was a, it was a, it's kind of a engineer, from an engineering standpoint and a very interesting quote unquote building it probably never should have been built there because it's un, it's very close it's in between route 91 and the railroad tracks and the Connecticut river and the flood it was below the floodplain. Oh, so there were constant sump pumps uh running and it was just an it was an attempt to bridge two latino neighborhoods the uh, memorial square and brightwood mm-hmm. which were built on one side or the other of route 91 <laughs> the, 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 another kind of you know i mean just i think an urban planning gone awry. well uh,
0: another example of institutional development that caused uh, you know consequences for poor and non-white communities
1: a- absolutely i knew i yeah. connect the neighborhoods there was a tunnel that are connected the main street side which was which was east of the highway and the railroad tracks and the plainfield street side which wet was west so it was very eerie um it was a very and it was always called a sick building and it um uh it, for us it was a wonderful jumping off point well, and with,
0: that's where the flood happened
1: right yes it was really the flood that, um, I, I, we were there for almost 11, 11 years and, um, it's affordability became very comfortable. Mm-hmm. and its, it's affordability allowed us to put a tremendous amount of resources, money into scholarship programs wow. scholarship programs. So, uh, uh, we were running, um, really kind of special, um, completely free jazz programs that were, that had guest artists like Dr. Horace Boyer, and Dr. Phillips, oh and, and, um, uh, and Archie Shepp and Avery Sharp. Uh, Avery's children actually were in this program. Oh. Uh, it was a really a wonder, well, it was typical of our desire to tri- try to figure out how we can be most culturally relevant to communities that had different cultural reference points, sure. cultural refer- frames of reference. We had we we were even though we were in a Latino neighborhood, the the percentage of Latinos coming to the CMSS um, was small. So we 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 began to really try to figure out what was what was a point of entry, and so we started. We we wrote grants. We got some a cuatro program going. This is the Puerto Rican cuatro. Um, we had um, William cumpiano build us um, uh, uh, ten or so cuatros, and we had a wonderful cuatro teacher. And these were kind of uh, emblems of of our desire to to increase to increase our our cultural relevance well it
0: it sounds too that in doing that you got your advice and your consultation from people within those communities themselves
1: A- absolutely
0: both I- musicians and other leaders in the communities etc that you weren't trying to come in from outside and impose something you were Growing it from within
1: Yeah, I I remember when I first we first before we opened up I went to uh, Meet a woman named Barbara Rivera who was the president of the New North Citizens Council She was a it was a community development corporation a very strong community leader And Barbara said to me, you know, Eric, that's very nice about what I'm reading about the music school, but my community doesn't doesn't want it if it's going to be here for six months and then you're going to fly off to some uh, other neighborhood and other better location. And and in fact, we were very committed to, to being in the neighborhood. Um, And um, as I said before, we ended up getting very comfortable because we could afford Uh, the location and we were subsidized by the public schools in the city in order to stay in that location but the flood forced us so i was um i was less frankly less i I was getting pushed by teachers who were in any school the backbone of of any school is it's it's and the teachers were becoming um really dissatisfied. These were, these are very rugged, um, kind of close to the ground music studios, six by, by eight studios, seven by 10. And I, one of our drum teachers from, from the very beginning, Billy Arnold, who was a great player and a wonderful human being, um, a musician uh, was teaching. He had a, a, a drum studio of probably 70 square feet with two drum sets. And with these were windowless, airless studios. So I understood. I mean, it was easy. I was in. I was not in any better situation in the in the in my office underground, either. But I was able to get up and move and you know go out. Sure. But these were punishing conditions. And um. But I had no choice. We. I was, as I said, um, reluctant to uh, to um move but the um but the flood in September of 1994 fo- forced the question and um uh the the, uh, the the public school building that we were in the the Harena school was um Uh, Flooded by about the whole neighborhood was flooded by about 10 million gallons of water. There was a gigantic water main break that completely closed the school the school building and there were twelve to fifteen hundred public school kids who had to be relocated and about three or four hundred community music school students who could no longer come to the the, This place they called the music school so within a week we were kind of rescued by several churches and we were in 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 a week we were up and running at Trinity Church on Sumner Avenue mm. and uh without the I mean the, the real the kindness of 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 strangers some acquaintances we really would have succumbed to the flood but we spent fa- two long years and um homeless in five different locations um, putting new schedules together every single day new rooms for teachers to teach in it was it was our uh, the administrative office was separate from the teaching hmm. the body and the head were separated it so it's really there, hard it was hard and it was yeah. getting very tiring and um, We had organized uh, that we being the the board and some staff members organized a group of uh, Folks to try to identify a building
0: and then you you did find your current the current home of of the school Now right that's
1: yes on State Street.
0: It's a beautiful building.
1: Yeah, it's a great place It was was, And,
0: and I'm curious when you had to make the shift what happened to that sense of being part of the Latino community did Did they come and move to the new location?
1: yeah, most of the students most of the students followed us and kept on following us because all the teachers did you know, it, as great a school as as c m s s is it's when I say as great a school it's as I'm saying it's as great teaching faculty
0: yeah. mm-hmm.
1: it, 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 it and because they could sign up, they can hear the greatest things about CMSS, and come in and meet me or whoever, and like me, and then get assigned to whoever—Mary Ellen Miller or Jeanette Grebe or you know Boris Kogan or whatever or Billy Arnold. But once they establish that connection with a teacher, right? It, it's very powerful. Sure. And and the teachers are just extraordinary, and uh, they are. um uh, they they too were mission driven in deciding to commit to
0: so so now that it's been so long and a lot of your early students have grown up do you see the kind of the consequences the the benefits in these individuals who were influenced and grew because of the school i bet you see that a lot
1: yeah, I I see. I do see it a lot. I see it. Um, I used to see it more when I was there, of course. And sure. there for 27 years, you see people who started 20 years ago become their flowers. Their kids now. Their kids, Yes, we had grandchildren of students uh, yeah. who were taught at one time. But yes, I've seen some amazing um, work done by alums at CMSS. I can think of a young woman, Sarah Elizabeth Charles, who um started at cmss uh sarah came in kindergarten to our early childhood class and then quickly started singing one of our children's choruses and was at cmss for 12 years studied in uh, children's chorus stuff then moved to um vocal lessons and started studying piano classical piano and then studying started studying jazz piano and then ended up going to New New School in in Manhattan and wow. and teaches at New School now. She actually does prison music performances at Sing Sing. Wow. So uh, uh, yeah, the work like that is going on a lot. And 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 you know there's a very famous program called El Sistema. It was based was based uh, was started in Venezuela. By a, by a man by a man named Jose Abreu and it was a completely is a completely free after-school program almost a total immersion in music and went into um, the poorest of poor neighborhoods the poorest of poor favelas and gave kids the only thing that they they had at the time was an instrument. These kids couldn't even have uh, many kids couldn't afford basketballs, but they had music and they had this amazing program. Mm. And uh, and and I don't know whether you've heard of the the conductor um, uh, Gustavo Dudamel. He's the conductor of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. He's a very famous conductor, and and he's opened up kind of classical music in the most democratic of ways in la was which is where he is now and he was one of the a graduate of uh, el sistema program and he and i remember he talked and abreu talked about that it's not about he's not trying to create musicians he's just trying to create better people
0: Mm -hmm. that
1: really is i think the story of cmss that through it through the community it's it the community that we created there s- really wonderful people came together and forged these wonderful relationships and became continued to grow as as wonderful people right doing really lovely lovely things so
0: that's beautiful it um it also sort of reminds me what you said about your own life and your own development through music And what, you know, what that grant, that, that was your grounding. That was your centering from which you could blossom in other ways.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, music has always been kind of the, my, one of my real important perspectives. Mm -hmm. And and, I mean, going to music and art, music and art was a very, um, uh, um, very progressive high school, public high school that had, um, uh, um um political movements um uh, there were there were always, there were demonstrations often at, in the high school on the street in front of the high school um and uh, at the same time i played in ensembles with people who would end up singing at the metropolitan opera or <laughs> playing the juilliard string quartet or the emerson quartet or um the uh, uh a um um uh um, played piano with Avery Sharp, um, right? Um, you know, I mean, there were wonderful gospel jazz Latin yeah, edition. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Um,
0: so I'm just making that connection, though, that like what the what the uh, Venezuelan experience offered, the Philharmonic conductor. Yes. That you your school offered that. To folks and that you also had that experience yourself growing up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was um, I just you know, that was my kind of my community and yeah. um, mm-hmm. and CMSS became a very important community you know, the um, Often kids would go, you know, and I would hear it um, They would be the only violin player in their school and walk through the halls and kind of feel lonely or marginalized. But you come to a place like CMSS, which honors the work, where you have brothers and sisters around you playing, older people, younger people. And we did touring programs. We took our students to to public schools constantly to play in assemblies, so that kids to kids programs, because kids have a greater influence on in many ways, have a greater influence on their peers than the adults sure. too.
0: Absolutely. So be a
1: kid playing the violin, or the cello, or the viola, or the trombone, or the French horn, the clarinet, or the, so. So,
0: so where is the school now? I mean, you have you left in 2010, right? So it's been 10 years. Yeah. And it's still going strong. They have beautiful building.
1: Yeah, well, the building, um, I'd always, felt that I couldn't leave until I gave the school a permanent home. And after getting the building in 1997, which was a real miracle, Mm -hmm. um, we went, um, our costs of running a music school up until we moved into the bank building was about $2,500 a year. Yeah! Oh. Wow. <laughs> when we moved into the old Shawmut Bank building in 1997, our costs increased by 50.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: So that one week, we every week cost us twenty five hundred dollars. So we we our our level of exposure was raised on a quantum level. The day I opened up, January second, nineteen ninety seven, I received a call from a lawyer. I uh, you know Ron Weiss, who said that Eric um, Ray, um, uh, Mildred Clark died. and We had knew that we had were in her will. And she died on the Friday before we opened, and she left us $391,000.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So the day we opened was the day I, yes. Oh, wow. This, so it gave us enough money to breathe and to wow. really get used to the space, afford the space, and then figure out how we can make a bank building into a music school. One of my board members um, uh, who was a b- banker and um, bank president and uh, at the um, came in one night to see his grandson in an early childhood class. And he stopped up in my office and said, Eric, can I see my... Very first banking office in in my career as a banker, and which was in this building. So I opened up the door to him, I showed him around, and um, he came out and said, you know, Eric, eighth notes are so much better than 90-day notes. The eighth note, the musical eighth note, is <laughs> better than a 90-day note. I oh mean, it kind of, it, taking a bank and liberating it and turning it into a music school was... a wonderful thing i think
0: wow wow
1: the the, school is doing fabulously now it has a real extensive array of large public school programs in (coughs) and holyoke and um that was one area that we uh, did not develop we had started a preschool of the arts i created a preschool of the arts for Three, four, and five year olds, and a wonderful performance space, and a, a certainly a wonderful community music school. Um, but, uh, but our partnerships with the public schools did not really take off until uh, several years after I left. And now they're yeah. robust.
0: So, Eric, we have like about four or five minutes left. And I just wanted to tie in, you know, how I started the show with where we are right now. With COVID and with the protests and I'm thinking about the school and how you know, how how is the school coping with? Quarantining and is it still able to function as a support and a community for these young people who? Might be in some ways more affected by the virus Absolutely, Um, Absolutely. you know as we're finding that people of color have m- more uh, cases of the virus and also of course about the protests and mm-hmm. all of that um, in the last few minutes do you want to kind of try and tie that together bring it to the to sure. the present
1: yeah and um, you know, I always felt that teachers our teachers te- music teachers were soul doctors and that was kind of that really they were, they they helped us release our songs, which was very powerful, uh. powerful work, work, undervalued by our society, but nevertheless, nonetheless, extremely powerful. So I think our soul doctors are doing telemedicine. Like,
0: Fantastic.
1: So they're, I, from what I hear, a lot of our teachers, uh, uh, my former teachers, colleagues, are are keeping the work going. Um, you know, through the way that m- m- many of us are keeping our lives going. Mm-hmm. But I, but CMSS was founded on and uh, on with such uh, with with such righteousness and integrity. I think, mm-hmm. and I think that. Um, I, I know that it has paid its dues and will continue to pay its dues, but it has always um, kind of um, kept on keeping on, as okay. Max Roach once said to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that it it because it is so certain about the the right rightness, the correctness of its work, that life is so diminished. Um, without art and music and beauty literature dance theater mm-hmm. you know it really is diminished and um and it you know it would it could disappear without c m s s so c m s s is a very a very strong um a sense of destiny mm-hmm. and um so i think wow. that it will endure absolutely wow. every director I, i'm um uh there's a school in Philadelphia, the Settlement Music School, which is, gosh, 112 years old. Has had five directors in 100.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah.
1: So CMSS in almost 40 years has had two directors. Wow. So. Um,
0: That's pretty good.
1: Yeah. So I. Pretty
0: darn good. Yeah. Yeah, especially when the founder leaves, you know, it's a it's a tough act to follow and to have the second yeah. director be a, a a Lasting one a keeper
1: that's Well, actually if truth be told it didn't quite there was a very short. Ah, uh, okay <laughs> you're absolutely Right, that's a whole other discussion.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, but um, anyway for all intents and purposes Over 40 years, it's had two main directors.
0: Sure. Sure.
1: Yeah, and but I think it's sense of purpose is very clear And it's also embraced by the community Wonderful and Jane Sapp. I don't know whether you know Jane Sapp. Jane is wonderful. She was An incredible teacher voice of the civil rights movement deep deep friends with Pete Seeger Pete came up and came to the music school and sang and led a community chorus rehearsal with us. But um, Jane once told me that if the community wants you, it'll keep you. Oh. You know, so, and if the community wants you, they'll figure, it will figure out how to keep you. That's beautiful. um,
0: Well, I feel um, hopeful about the institution of the community school and the music school, and also, I love that you have, you know, after retirement, that you have gotten back to your music personally. Yeah. That, that gives me a lot of pleasure to hear that. And also there's something hopeful about um, how each of us, you know, can continue to find whatever it is that gives us that center, that, that sense of, of groundedness. We
1: yeah. need it. <laughs> oh, we sure we sure do. I mean, it's yeah. a major center of gravity for me. And um, I just feel lucky. I, I was given it in seventh grade. It was a serendipitous experience and incident in my life that was, was life-changing. So,
0: Eric, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's been
0: wonderful. I thank appreciate
1: so it. I so much appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk with
0: you. Yeah. And I also want to really thank Greenfield Community Television. They are awesome. Just extending themselves to figure out how to do this new form of interviewing and everything. He, uh, there's Philippe giving me the, I love you sign and I'm sending it yes, right thank back you. to you. Thank and you. also I just want to share that if folks want to see other of my shows, you can do that through. Um, Greenfield Community TV or MarcySclove.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also podcasts now that you can sign up for through uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much to Eric, to GCTV, mm-hmm. and see you next time on Going Deeper.
1: Thank you, Marcy. Hey. Was a little boy sitting on.